Hello, welcome back to About Abortion with Dave Brennan. This is producer Gwil, a voice you may not have heard before, but I'm always in that room with Dave, making sure he finishes on time, which is a very difficult task. I trust you are well and having a good Christmas period. This is just a little message to say that this week's episode is an episode that was recorded for Simon Gilbo's podcast called Inspired. We're thankful for Simon for uh, providing this recording to us. Do go check out his podcast. The links will be in the notes below, whether it's on YouTube or any other platform you listen to us on. We will see you again with a regular episode in the new year. Don't forget to like, subscribe, hit that notification bell, just so you know when a new episode comes out. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you again soon. Welcome, everybody. This is Simon Gilbo with Inspired. Inspired, if you're new to us, is all about uh, sharing my friends with you, really, and friends from all sorts of different walks of life doing all sorts of different beautiful things. And uh, it looks at life in the nitty gritty, overcoming faith. Uh, Hopefully it does leave you inspired. You know, this week is going to be a bit different in that um, it's a very sensitive, meaty, heavy topic that we're going to be addressing, um, which is the topic of abortion. And I have got in a friend of mine called Dave Brennan. Welcome, Dave. Thank you, Simon. Real privilege to be with you today. Yeah, it's great to have you, bro. And and straight off the bat, I want to say that, you know, maybe, folks, you'll say, well, it's two, it's two men talking about this. And I, I could have got a, a lady, I mean, loads of ladies to, uh, to be in on this. But actually, you know, I wanted to, do, to be with a friend and uh, someone I really trust and someone I know in terms of their voice. And, and Dave, I think, is just characterized by in what is a very delicate, sensitive, tender topic. He is characterized by a real grace and gentleness. And you will see that as we talk about an issue that um, is extremely close to all of us, whether we know it or not, because the stats are, are that one in three um, ladies... Uh, has had an abortion so we, we all know more than that number of ladies and, and some some we might know someone's who's been through this horrific uh, life experience or it's it's in secret it's in the dark place it's hidden and so we want to talk about this uh in a very gentle way but also we want to talk about it in a real way because i have to say dave i i genuinely think as i was reflecting before getting you on i don't think i've ever heard a sermon uh, that touches on abortion, which which is mind blowing, isn't it? Yeah, that's certainly been um, my experience. Almost everyone I know who's ever heard teaching on abortion in their own church, almost all of them, it's because someone from our ministry has done that teaching. Very, very rare to come across a Christian who's heard teaching in their church just in the ordinary course of things. So there's certainly a, a yeah a deafening silence on this issue in the church, even though, as you say, it's so prevalent. Mm. and and it's such a significant issue so close to the heart of god mm. okay well let, let's backtrack a bit in terms of getting your story your background uh, sort of tell us about your childhood well i was really blessed to grow up in a christian home i'm one of four boys mm-hmm. uh people tend to say your poor mother at that point um <laughs> but no we had a great childhood very blessed um grateful uh for my parents who who brought us up in in, in a good solid bible believing church and um and actually, one of my earliest memories is asking my dad um, why Jesus died. I, I kind of it sensed there was something important here. It was a big deal. You hear a lot about it. 
but I, I didn't understand what it was all about. What was it for? And I, I must have been about four years old at the time. Um, and my dad responded, you know, don't worry, son, it will make sense in time. It, essentially, he didn't answer. Uh, and perhaps that was wisdom because it kind of, it kept me asking. And um, and not long after that, I remember when the, when the penny dropped mm-hmm. and I realized Jesus had died for me to rescue me uh, from hell, to, to give me that access to to the father to be forgiven and um and even at a very very young age that made such an impression on me um i remember just yeah just crying and giving my life mm. to the lord at that young age and so yeah i'm i'm grateful that you know you you could say i've i've always there have been ups and downs but i essentially i've never not um known known god in my life really from some of my earliest memories um yeah. you know i've been blessed with with knowing the Lord personally. So um, that that was, yeah, very early on. I was baptized um, some years after that, age of 11. And that was a very significant uh, experience for me. Um, and then, but I think for me, it was probably in my early teens when I really started reading the scriptures for myself. I would say that's when my faith really flourished. You know, right. that's where it really came to life as I just began to experience through reading the scripture for myself just the just the the ring of truth you know that the the scriptures have um and i think uh i i'd heard it said enough times you know the god of the old testament god of the new testament you know you can't match them up and and i I wanted to see for myself and so i undertook to read the whole bible i I did it in about a year and a half probably age 13 14 Mm. and i just came out of that blown away by the the continuity and the consistency of scripture and and the characterization of god throughout i was just so impressed by that mm-hmm. and um and so kind of seeing it as it were firsthand that just really strengthened my faith and and uh, and i think brought it to life any key later teens moments well i, I was at, um i i was at a, an all boys uh, school from the age of uh, 13 and uh, you know we were really blessed it was it was unusual that w- within our year at least by the end of our time there a really good chunk of that year were were christians you mm-hmm. know um the the bible study at one point i remember had about i think we figured it out it was something like a fifth of the school year turning up to the bible oh. study it was inc- it was really unusual where was this that was charterhouse okay. um, so well, it was all boys from 13 then girls join it in the sixth form yeah, i think it's co-ed yeah. all the way through now Kerry Gilbert Smith yeah yes Kerry was there yeah and I think you know Christian Hacking as well um mm-hmm. so he, he we're, we were the same year so he, he's been a great brother in the Lord for, from those early days and um so we, we we had a lot of encouragement in our year there was a real sense of we want to um bring the gospel to our peers and uh, especially in our last couple of years we were really able to sort of step out in evangelism um within the school and uh, I did a bit of preaching in chapel and so, yeah, from, from from my sort of late teens, I began to sort of dip my toe in the water of preaching and, and you know, felt real joy in that. The Lord blessed me in that. And I've always had a passion for teaching the Bible and for evangelism. And so th- those things sort of started to find their expression, I suppose, in my in my late teens and then into um, university years. You know, it very much sort of hit the ground um, running at, at university wanting to uh to bring the gospel to to to, to my new uh peers there 
Great. Uh, so you went to Oxford, and I, I, I know you've talked about having a dark night of the soul. Can you tell us about that? <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, year year one of Oxford for me was just. I mean, it was just like extended adolescence. You know, it was it was <laughs> it was just fun. You know, it was there were no exams that counted for anything. I was part of a a singing group. We went touring the world, doing mm. concerts and stuff. It was great fun. It was all just great fun. And and alongside that, you know, definitely there was a heart there for, you know, reaching the lost and got stuck in with the CU and all that kind of thing. Um, but, but in year two, I kind of, I, I hit some, some pretty big walls. Um, and I actually remember talking with a friend walking down the street uh, towards the end of my first year. It's almost like I knew it was coming because of my own folly. You know, this is because of my own, my own pride. Right. Um, what essentially uh, coming towards the end of year one going into year two uh, got invited to take on a few different responsibilities and extra jobs you know so some in the CU some uh, that's the Christian Union and some for this singing group and I remember saying to this friend I was walking down the street I remember saying that I I know I probably shouldn't say yes to all these things because that wouldn't really be wise and yet I knew in my heart because of my pride I was going to say yes to all of them right. and so I and so I did um and so all of a sudden, year two, really busy, a lot of strains and stresses. Um, but on top of that, a few things kicking off, which I think really brought home to me just how small I was and and how unable I was to fix other people's problems. And uh, so a guy who's very, very good friend close to me was really struggling with alcoholism and I couldn't fix that. You know, I loved him. I wanted to help him, but I just... I just couldn't. It was, it was beyond my my control. Yeah. And there was another friend in, in particular I was witnessing to bringing along to evangelistic um, events and so on. And I was really praying uh, for him. And I just there's a real mixture here, I guess, of you know, of 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 good godly desires, but then just also real human pride and mm -hmm. and self reliance. You know, I I I, I it was more than a, a kind of. A hope or a prayer i i almost just had decided he was going to become a christian that year you know it was just it was going to happen yeah. and it didn't and that really rocked me actually it really to see someone hear the gospel inside and out and then turn around mm -hmm. and say very very directly very clearly it's not for me mm -hmm. that really rocked me so all these things are coming a few you know a few different situations that were clearly beyond my control uh, and on top of that, I'd overcommitted. I was too busy. And it was the first time in my life that I really lost my peace. I, I couldn't sleep at night sometimes, literally the whole night, just mm -hmm. not a wink of sleep all the way through the night and maybe the same again the following night. And it was unusual for me to experience, yeah, just such, such a lack of peace. And it's the first time I'd really faced head on um, some of the, well, I guess some of the, the, the things I couldn't fix, but but also my own my own frailty. And in, in terms of my faith, it was the first time I really just had to cling on to what I knew to be true and what God's word said, even yeah. though I wasn't feeling it at all. Mm. Wasn't feeling God's closeness at all. Didn't know if I'd ever get out of this hole. You know, had I age whatever it was, twenty twenty one. Have I, you know, have I just kind of lost it now? You know, am I sort of cracking mm. up? And mm. and will I ever feel that peace, that closeness of the Lord again? Um, and and yet, 
as is, I guess, the case for so many people, it was through that dark episode um, that I actually encountered the Lord in a whole new way. And I can genuinely say now I'm grateful for that time. Um, there, there, there was a uh, someone working with the Christian Union, I think a relay worker or a staff worker or something, who who met to to pray with me and talk with me ostensibly about the, the CU responsibilities I was I was you know um, charged with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it became pretty clear to her that actually I, I needed some help. We were praying together, um, and it, actually, this is the first time I'd ever experienced this. I think, but she said, "Look, I've got a, I've, I, I, I feel that I, I need to pray in tongues. Is that okay with mm-hmm. you?" And I'd never experienced that before. I said, "Yeah, sure, go for it." And so she did. And then she said, "Now, one of us is going to have an interpretation. Uh, do you have one?" And I said, "Actually, yeah, I." I, I think I know pretty clearly what the Lord is saying and and I, I believe what the Lord said in that moment was um you're not ready to come out of this hmm. and so there I was right in the pit you know obviously praying to come out but the clear word was you're not ready yet it's like you're in the furnace and you need a bit longer in there because I'm not done with you yet hmm. and so the, there was still weeks or months of of suffering there but coming out of that time I, I'm, I'm grateful that it really did humble me and it made me very fearful of ever trusting in my own strength again. Yeah. Uh, because I really thought, uh, yeah, the arrogance of a young man, I suppose, but I really thought I had no, there, there was no capacity, you know, I could just take on more and more and more. Um, but, but through that time, the Lord humbled me and I came out much more committed to prayer, much more reliant on his strength and his wisdom, mm-hmm. not wanting to go down a route that's just because I think it's a good idea. And actually, I'd say it was only then, after that dark time, that I actually began to see some of that evangelistic fruit and so on that I had so desired to see. But it was only in the Lord's timing, once I'd learned in a new way to to rely on His strength and and not on myself. So I'm genuinely grateful for that time, mm. um, and I see that actually, in a sense, as the most formative time in my faith yeah. journey because, you know, up until that point, yeah, I was believing, yeah, I was trusting it was real but it was superficial compared to what it had to become through that time. Yeah. 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 Thanks for sharing that. And I, I, I in a different way, can look back at the, the, a, a dark time and the toughest time in my life and say, thank you, Lord. Um, yeah. In all things you work for the good, mm. those who love you accord according to your purposes. Yeah. We claim mm. that promise. Um, so you left university, you, um, you went into teaching anything to share from that time. Yeah, so I went uh, with a, an educational charity called Teach First, um, which places graduates in sort of tough schools or schools in poorer areas in, in cities and so on. So I was in West London um, teaching maths and yeah, I was grateful, grateful for, for, for the work. But it was, it was, it was during that time, um, I think, that the, uh, the Lord really laid on my heart, first off, calling into full-time gospel ministry, if we can use those terms. So uh, I was I was already helping out with a church plant in in southwest London, and uh, and during that time I felt a strong call to to go full time in in you know, preaching and evangelism and so on, mm-hmm. and uh, and that really sort of coincided with the church quite unusually for a church in the UK, um, feeling compelled to actually take on a full time evangelist and and you don't tend to hear very many churches mm. doing that but uh, but essentially that's what they discerned was a real need. Uh, for 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 them as a, as a church leadership team, and so that those those kind of desires met in the middle. And so after just 
I just did the two years of teach first. That's the kind of the base requirement. And um, after that went into, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, there was Bible teaching, you know, helping new Christians with some discipleship stuff. Um, but uh, probably the mainstay of what I was doing was evangelism in particular amongst kids. So I was going into schools, doing assemblies, lunchtime clubs, after school clubs, um, doing holiday clubs and stuff like that. So so it was it was weighted probably more towards sort of evangelism amongst kids, which, which I actually loved. You know, I just love how children can be so open to the yeah. gospel. Yeah. Um, and it's just such a joy. I mean, some of my most precious memories, just looking back at that time, just running a holiday club, seeing a hundred kids from the community come along, they get to hear the gospel and just singing these songs with the kids and seeing many of them make professions of faith was just a real, mm. real joy and a privilege. Yeah. So I'm, I'm grateful for the, for those years. Mm. And were you always pro-life? Yeah, good question. I, I, I would have said yes. Um, not that I ever gave the issue much thought for the first, I don't know, 20 years of my life. You know, as I said, I grew up in the church. It was a solid Bible teaching church. Generally, people, if you asked them, would say, well, yeah, we're pro-life. That's that's our Christian position. But again, I don't think I ever heard teaching on it as such growing up in church. But enough enough to know, Well, and even just clearly from the science, it's obvious life begins at conception. You know, that that's... So enough to know that that's when life begins and life is precious because God made it. I remember seeing, you know, some bits and bobs of pro-life literature around the house growing up. But it didn't it didn't look like anything. You know, I, I didn't do anything with that. And I think I was really unaware of just the scale of the issue. So I, mm -hmm. I guess had I given it any real thought, I would have assumed it was a it was only something that happened very rarely in very extreme situations. Um and so because it wasn't talked about very much, because I wasn't aware of the scale, um, it yeah, my, my default sort of passive position was was pro-life, but it didn't it didn't look like anything until probably my but yeah, early twenties. So what was the Catholic event that sort of kicked you into getting more actively involved? Yeah, I think it's a few things. So so first of all, I mentioned my friend Christian Hacking, who's who's been uh, we we've known each other since thirteen and we've actually sort of been on this journey a bit together which mm -hmm. which has been a blessing and uh, i started speaking with him and with others um in those early 20s sort of that sort of age um and, and we just kind of were telling each other did you realize the scale of this issue like did you know it was this many do you know you know and, and as we kind of talked about in particular the scale i think that really changed the way we saw the whole issue because look if it's just isolated cases extreme cases then that's one thing. But when it's at a scale of, you know, more than 200,000 a year, in, in that's just in England and Wales, you know, we're talking mm -hmm. about one in four pregnancies, right? So for every three babies born alive in England and Wales today, for every three babies born alive, one baby has been killed in the womb. Wow. Like when, when we kind of started to get our heads around these statistics, it was just like scales falling from our eyes and we said oh hang on this this is huge why why is no one talking about this why is no one doing anything about this and and so the scale of the issue but also the depth of the silence you know the fact that well where is the church on this it kind of brought us to this conclusion um and during this time as well got married and my wife's very much on this journey as well mm -hmm. uh, it, it brought us to the conclusion that this is the great 
sort of blind spot of our day. This is the great injustice that's actually accepted and tolerated yeah. um, in our day. This is the historic one. This is the biggie, you know. And I remember watching a film with my wife. Um, I think it's called The Help. It's about slavery in, in, um, in the United States. Um, and it's, the film doesn't talk about abortion at all. It's it's just about slavery. But having watched the whole film, I remember my wife and I turned to each other and we both just said at the same time, pretty much abortion. You know, what that was then, abortion is now. The thing we're mm -hmm. going to be, <clears throat> excuse me, the thing we're going to be um, watching films about in 50 years time, how on earth did we tolerate that? How on earth did people think that was okay? It's going to yeah. be, it's going to be this, it's going to be abortion. And so we began to see this as, if you like, the, the slave trade of our day or the apartheid of our day. This is the big injustice, which one day we'll turn around and say, how did we put up with that? Mm. <coughs> so did you start Brifos? So what happened then was, and that, that was the one big sort of catalyst. I think the other big catalyst, together with, well, scriptures really reinforcing this, you know, so, you know, reading through scripture and and um seeing the lord's heart for the oppressed the fatherless the widow and and his expectation that we positively take up their cause you know we're not just caused uh, called to uh abstain from acts of evil you know we're called to to do good yeah. so so this the, the kind of the scriptures were kind of alongside us very much in this journey but the other major catalyst i think was you know still to that point i had no idea what you could do with that you know okay there's an issue here we're called to do something but I, I guess I had no concept of what meaningful pro-life activism could be so um so what happened was um and actually again Christian was was just a few months ahead of me in this because Christian went off to Ireland um when the the referendum was brewing so in Ireland the 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 human rights of the unborn child were actually enshrined in the constitution until very mm -hmm. recently right. and there was a referendum to actually repeal that and christian went over there to see some friends and to kind of help out with the cause there to try and um do some do some pro-life work on on that front and he came back having met um some some guys from cbr so cbr is the center for bioethical reform and there are cbrs all over the world um different countries we've got one here cbr uk and so Christian kind of all of a sudden got got really involved in CBR, and I, I had no idea about who they were, what they did, but but to me it, it sounded to me like sort of protest work and picketing and sort of to be honest, I didn't really like the sound of it. I thought, mm. you know, okay, this might be well intentioned, but is this really doing any good? You know, placarding. I I, I had a kind of pretty negative stereotype in my mind. Yeah, and so what actually happened would, was. What's that? Which most people would have that negative view, wouldn't they? Well, yes, I think that's how how the media certainly has has trained us to think of mm. pro life activism uh, that it has to be aggressive and sort of fruitless and and you know unloving and yeah. really interesting that even at that stage after years of of journeying down this route, still at that point even my only concept of pro life work was negative. Yeah. So anyway, I um. I went to, to, I heard that Christian was going to be out on the streets doing something with CBR. Um, 
and and to be honest i basically went out with half a mind to to put them off the streets i thought i need to go see what my friends got himself embroiled in here and mm. if it is what i think it is i'm gonna have to sort of take him aside and look say brother i don't think this is the best way to go about things but what actually happened was when i arrived on the scene i found the work they were doing so compelling and so right um that i actually got involved straight away there and then on the day and and basically haven't looked back so that that was the other big catalyst that got me got me involved and and, and the work i'm talking about here is public education work so it's showing people the reality you see abortion thrives on the dark mm. it it thrives because people are deceived as to what it really is even the women the girls who are who are pregnant and go to their doctor or whatever but they're, they're not shown the reality of the life in their womb mm -hmm. they're not told the facts of what abortion is going to do to their baby and even to them so the whole thing thrives on being hidden and so what what CBR UK does, and this is based on the history of successful social reform, uh, it is very, very important principle that injustice has to be exposed. You know, you can't end an injustice by covering it up. You have to expose it. And so we say, look, we're not protesting abortion. We're actually just showing what it is. Right. And when seen uh, for what it is, abortion actually protests itself. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're, we're doing. We're showing the reality of life in the womb and all its majesty we're also showing visually what what the victim of an abortion actually looks like what what happens to the baby and that combination of of imagery together with just talking to people very peacefully if they want to talk and just asking look what do you think about this what do you think about abortion i found that approach very truth-centered very respectful and very effective and, and you know we do see minds changed on abortion so it was it was seeing that work and experiencing that work that all of a sudden gave me a real hope uh, and a way to actually do something that was that was fruitful so it was that's actually what started the journey towards um establishing brefos as a project of cbr uk so so brefos is our sort of church project within okay. cbr uk go on tell us more about brefos then so brefos um the, the word brefos is a new testament greek word uh, and it just means baby or infant and um it just kind of came to me uh, at home as as we were kind of starting this off and praying about it and so on this word just kind of leapt out of me uh, leapt out to me because um in for example luke chapter one you've got john the baptist leaping mm -hmm. for joy in the womb so he's an mm -hmm. unborn child uh he's in the womb about six months uh, still, that's about the abortion limit in the UK. For any reason, you can have an abortion up to about six months. So John the Baptist is there leaping for joy in the womb, and he's described with this Greek word brephos, which just means a baby or an infant. Mm -hmm. But the interesting thing about this word is that in the next chapter, Luke chapter 2, the same word brephos is used to describe the Lord Jesus as a newborn baby mm -hmm. yeah. uh, lying in the manger. And, you know, you'll find the babe wrapped in cloth lying in a manger. So so you've got the same word used of unborn babies and newborn babies. So before birth, after birth, because in God's eyes, there's no distinction that the baby has the same value before and after birth. And so that word really, for me, encapsulated God's perspective on abortion, which needs to be our perspective as the church. And so that's really the heart of, of the Brefos Project. It's, it's helping the church to see this issue 
as God sees it. And so um, fundamentally, it's a teaching ministry because, as, as we mentioned earlier, so few te- uh, uh, churches have had any teaching on abortion. And so we're really trying to help churches to teach, to um, equip the saints, works of service, to help people to understand this issue are right and to respond in action um, because the work of CBR UK was very much facing the public seeking to change minds uh, on abortion but what we kind of realized was where we might have hoped that the church would be obviously with us in this we've actually found um, they're not sometimes it's just ignorance sometimes there's even opposition and so it was really necessary to to approach the church directly head-on and say, look, we've got to look at this biblically and um, and align ourselves with God's heart on this issue. Mm. So um, what happens uh, when someone chooses to have an abortion? Well, in this country, um, if you choose to have an abortion, you, you, you will get your abortion. So that ostensibly there's this kind of two doctors have to sign it off. It has, you know, according to the Abortion Act, there's got to be a reason and so on. But uh, we all know that um, that's just a kind of formality uh, and no one is ever denied an abortion. So we do have abortion on demand in the UK. You mm-hmm. never hear of anyone being denied an abortion. Um, I ought to interject here, though, when we say what happens when a woman chooses to have an abortion, many, many women are acting under at least some degree of coercion or pressure. Yeah. And so we, we, we know story after story. I mean, we hear this almost on a weekly basis. You know, um, a woman wants to have the baby, but her boyfriend or partner, whatever, or her parents are putting this pressure on her saying, look, it's not the right time. This is not what we want. So in many cases, I mean, it's been billed as, this empowering, you know, the autonomous modern woman, it's her choice. In many cases, it's really not as simple as that. There's there's coercion, there's pressure, there's misinformation. But but all that to say, when she finally consents, or, or at least is perceived to consent to an abortion, what will happen generally nowadays in England and Wales, um, that about 85% of abortions um, are what we call medical abortions, pills by post, telemedicine. These are some of the terms you might have heard applied to it. But essentially what happens is, and this is really, this has been accelerated since the pandemic, is um, instead of going into a clinic, um, and and in fact, she doesn't even have to go into a clinic for for the initial consultation. All of this can be on the phone. Mm -hmm. You can essentially order your abortion on the phone today. Um, What will happen is within a few days, uh, two pills are going to arrive in the post right. and the first pill um, essentially cuts off the uh, supplies to the unborn child so o- oxygen and nutrients so essentially the, the, the baby is starved is suffocated this is for early this is for sort of first trimester mm-hmm. abortion so up to about 12 weeks so the baby is essentially starved and suffocated and then and, and dies normally at that stage and then the second pill is is taken a day or so later, and that causes the baby to be um, expelled. Um, and that's generally happening uh, at home. Women are often on their own. It can be very painful. There have been 
literally thousands since the pandemic there have been thousands and thousands of of complications women having to go to hospital because it's it's not kind of uh completed um so it's very dangerous um and unpleasant for for women to say the least um but of course for the for the baby you know it, it almost always ends in in the death of the baby now i say almost always because there is mercifully um a a sort of uh the possibility of saving the life of the baby even after that first pill has been taken the first pill essentially uh, acts to stop the progesterone that 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 um that that is encouraging the normal development of the pregnancy and there is quite simply a pill that can be taken which which reverses that so restores the progesterone mm -hmm. at that stage and um in many cases that saves the baby and and there have been some wonderful stories over the last few years of uh of women uh taking these abortion reversal pills and and their babies are alive today so um people don't all know about that so i just want to mention that there is even if you've taken the first pill there is still actually hope and and there's a real chance that the baby can still be saved so that's what that's what's generally happening uh when a woman chooses to have an abortion in england and wales but you've also got still about 15 percent of abortions are what we call surgical abortions and this is where this is generally for later stage but can also happen in first trimester where depending on the size of the baby and the, the sort of uh the toughness of, of of the baby you're you're looking at the use of metal tools um and forgive me it's it's not pleasant to to describe but what we're talking about here is the is the cutting up of the baby literally uh, with with forceps pulling limb from limb the baby the, the baby is alive the baby doesn't give isn't given anesthetic but essentially the baby is is dismembered alive the skull is crushed to get it out mm. and piece by piece the baby is pulled out and those pieces are rearranged on a table to make sure that all the pieces are there um so that there isn't risk of infection and then for much later term where the baby's too big to even do that um generally it's a it's a lethal injection uh to the heart of the baby and then the baby is delivered whole um and that uh but dead and that whole process can take even days you know when it's late term abortion so th th these are the these are the procedures which are hidden underneath euphemisms such as access to healthcare and reproductive justice and a right to choose you know th these these terms which mean very little and sound really quite innocuous the reality is we're talking about a, an act of of violence which which is being paid for by the nhs budget it, it, it's billed as healthcare, but uh, but nothing could be further from the truth so that that's what that's what abortion really is it's so it's so heavy and distressing and traumatizing even to sort of talk about and you know I've, I've quoted one in three women having had an abortion by the age of 25 in this nation so i mean so many people listening we all will know people that have been involved in this i mean pastorally can you give a, a pastoral response to how you deal with these precious ladies that have already suffered so much and i mean the last thing they need is shame and guilt and condemnation how, how do you respond yeah, absolutely. As you say, one in one in three 
have had at least one abortion by the age of 45. That's that's in England and Wales. And so I'm really conscious, especially when I go to speak in churches, mm. because the, the stats are not that different in the church. So it's it's really prevalent. And I think a number of things. I think, first of all, there's. I think we need to do a bit of inner work, you know, in ourselves. Do we do we really believe the gospel is big enough for this? Mm-hmm. And if we really do believe the gospel's big enough for this, then that should empower us and move us not to avoid this issue as if the gospel isn't big enough, mm. but that should move us to confidently and yes, carefully and, 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 you know, we don't want to be charging in there. We don't want to be insensitive, but the gospel really is big enough. The cross really is powerful enough for this. The, the, the shed blood of Jesus really is effective enough that we can approach this. Yeah. And I think, you know, for, for many people, the, the very reason that they're, they're not hearing about this in church, the reason many pastors aren't teaching about it is, I think, for this for this reason, there's this fear. Yeah. Well, these these dear women have already suffered so much. I don't want to add to their suffering by talking about something so painful. And I get that. Mm. But what's really interesting is it's so often those very women who come up to me afterwards on a Sunday and say, thank you so much for addressing this. I had an abortion 50 years ago and I've never told anyone. Yeah. Uh, and these, these are real stories. You know, another one, uh, again, she had an abortion. It was probably 40, 50 years ago. She was in her 60s or 70s. And she said, every 16-year-old girl in the country needs to see that, mm-hmm. you know, the presentation I'd just given. So ironically it's often the very women we're seeking to protect or we're fearful of of upsetting or damaging or whatever it's those women who actually desperately need to hear the gospel brought to bear on this issue because you know i think if we don't speak about it we express one of two things we either say look god doesn't really care about this issue it's not a big issue there's nothing to see here Mm. and that doesn't help those women because they know it's a big issue they've been there and it's and it's affecting them and they're in many cases they're they're stuck in this kind of cycle of shame and silence and they feel isolated and they're not having the gospel ministered to them in that area so the silence can kind of just leave them there um so it, it can suggest well you know this isn't a big issue or it suggests you know this is such a big issue that we we've got nothing we can do for you you know this is be you're beyond help you're beyond the reach you know, and, and again, that's not true no. because the gospel is big enough. So difficult as it can seem, I, I passionately believe that addressing this in the light of scripture is the most loving thing we can do uh, for these for these women uh, and men who, who are affected by abortion. And so I think we need to help people to see, look, this is a serious issue. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's important because that validates their what what they intuitively know and what Mm -hmm. they experienced that this was a massive deal this has really affected them you know we know women who you know after abortion they've fallen into addictions or their relationships have broken down you know it it affects people in so many ways and yet what society is saying to them is you're fine you did the right thing 
Mm. You know, that was the right choice for you. They're not given permission to be struggling yeah. by society. So I think we've got to give them that permission to grieve, actually. Yeah. And to say this, I, I lost my baby. You know, the, the, it's a very complicated thing emotionally because, yeah, there's the moral element and there's the responsibility, which is not all on the women. There's the partner, there are the parents, there's a doctor, you know, there's a whole web of people who are, yeah. in, you know, it's not just a woman's choice. But emotionally, you've got the fact that that was my baby. And women do need to be given an opportunity to grieve apart from anything else. And, and, and talking about it helps. Mm. So we, we need to acknowledge the gravity. But at the same time, we need to um, we need to boldly proclaim that in another sense, this is no bigger deal than any other sin. You know, this is not the unforgivable sin. This is not beyond the pale. This is not beyond the reach of the grace of God. Mm. But again, when we don't talk about it, we kind of suggest that it is. So as we as we open up the issue, and I, I love I, I love to turn to the um you know the interchange between Jesus and and the thief on the cross next to him. I just love that interchange because what you have there is a thief who by his own admission he's there because he deserves to be yeah. he can do absolutely nothing to change his past he can't do anything to pay back what he owed or anything like that yeah all he can do is look to jesus and that's all any of us can do yeah that's all i can do you know regardless of whether we've had an abortion or not we're all in the same boat we're all sinners in, mm. in need of forgiveness before a holy god and so abortion is not some, you know, special case where it doesn't, it doesn't fit into that. No, it does, because mm. actually I'm in no position to, to look down on anyone, mm. and nor is anyone else. We're all in the same boat. Mm. And gloriously, Jesus never turned away any who, who came to him. So we, we, we do have a gospel big enough for this. Mm. And, and I, I can happily say, from experience that whilst it may not be easy to open up this issue in churches it is so often those very women uh who are grateful yeah. um and in fact sadly i even know of many many women who have had abortions and they're in their churches and they're asking people to talk about abortion and they're mm. asking their leaders please can we have some teaching on abortion mm. And and the answer still coming back no. So actually, sometimes it's those people who are crying out for for this issue to be engaged, and um, and and God's grace is big enough, and the Holy Spirit is powerful enough, and and there is healing, but healing comes through addressing it, not through avoiding it. Yeah. So one one piece that I'd love you to speak into is that I mean. A lot of people, I mean, if you just think it's a clinical process, it's dealt with, um, I say just, there'll still be wounds and uh, stuff to deal with. But if you have a, if your conscience is pricked, if you're doing it with serious doubts, if you have a faith system, you believe in God, uh, and so you recognize the spiritual aspect of this uh, as well as the moral, then... Uh, I mean, I know many, many precious ladies will just um, 
bury this. It's such a deep wound. It's not to be addressed at all. It's, it can't be revisited. Let's just move on. And and yet, is is there is there a heavy sort of spiritual cost to that? And yeah, can you can you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah you've got the, the sort of moral aspect, but then if we can make the distinction, the spiritual, and I think we do we do need to understand that abortion itself is a deeply spiritual act. Yeah, and and whether people are conscious of it as that, whether they mean it in that way, it is. It is because what's going on here is we live in a very religious society. Actually, we, we live we might call it a secular society, but the reality is people always worship something. Mm-hmm. And in our culture, you could say the gods of our age are you know the gods of of pleasure of success perhaps quite simply the god of self the god yeah. of autonomy you know it's mm. me it's my way i do what's right for for number one and it will vary hugely from case to case but the reality is what's like what's going on spiritually in an abortion is it is actually an act of sacrifice that what's what's going on is the baby is being sacrificed for a certain um outcome you know to to achieve something to avoid something to maintain something to escape something and and so to these idols these modern day idols you know in some cases it may be as simple as and i and again these these are real life stories um you know because of my career i wanted to have a baby next year not this year Mm. so i'm having i'm having an abortion um or it could be um for for financial reasons or it could be to um, you know, to 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 hide um, the fact that there's been extramarital sex. So, you know, so it's reputation. So the, there are all sorts of gods and idols to which these babies may be sacrificed. But the fundamental reality, spiritually speaking, is it is an act of sacrifice. And and we know from Scripture that an idol is nothing in the world. But but really, when we participate in in sacrifice to idols that's actually being given to demons it's actually being offered up to demons and, and so there there's a satanic route to child sacrifice whatever form it takes whether that's you know like we read in the old testament ancient near east babies being offered into the fire to molech um whether it's forms of infanticide we read about in greco-roman culture or today with abortion in our land that these are just different forms but spiritually the essence is the same again whether or not people are aware of that Mm. so what happens in an abortion is that there is that deeply spiritual element that that child has been sacrificed and i know these are very strong terms but this is what's going on and so i think that needs to be acknowledged and again ministered to um because when we make a sacrifice um it, it it's like it's like an exchange you know it it, it when when uh, in in pagan religions when people sacrifice to you know the sun god or 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 a god of the, their crops or whatever the the point is it's an exchange you give up something precious and you get in return what it is you're after mm-hmm. um but in doing so you kind of you kind of hand yourself over to some degree 
spiritually there's a kind of allegiance there and you're empowering that that demonic sort of stronghold so i don't profess to understand all of this stuff very well but what i can see in scripture and what i can see you know understand from people's testimonies is that there's a lot going on here spiritually mm. and i think that needs ministry perhaps in maybe not in all cases but in in many cases there may be a need of of kind of deliverance ministry mm. um and again the you know satan loves to keep people locked up he loves yeah. to keep people in the dark don't talk about this don't deal with this and yeah i mean one of the things that these demons hate more than anything else is to have the light shone mm. and so when we speak about it when we bring scriptures to bear when we start praying into it their time really is up yeah but when we but when we don't do those things i think we do these ladies a great disservice because whether, again whether people are able to identify this understand it or not those spiritual those sort of strongholds are going to be having an impact in their life um to varying degrees you know in in some instances what you'll notice at a surface level is okay there's marital difficulty there hmm. and you don't realize it's actually linked to a past abortion yeah in in other instances there may be a an issue bonding with your other children and you don't realize it's because there's a past abortion there so there, there's a whole world of of impact that there can be um in that kind of spiritual realm and i think yet again it's it's a reason we need the whole church to engage on this because look you know we've got in the church the lord has given pastors you know teachers you know evangelists apostles prophets we've all got different gifts and we need all the gifts to come to bear on this issue because it's such a big issue that yeah. requires pastoral care it requires you know people with the gift of discerning between spirits and whatever else to minister powerfully um to these dear sisters and brothers in the lord who who are not yet um healed um in this area mm. um i mean this we, we're coming to an end and uh, this is for me a podcast like none other i mean inspired normally is telling stories of triumphant faith overcoming some really messy stuff but usually you end up feeling buzzing um i knew i wouldn't feel buzzing in this time it's mm. almost like a not being on the council's chair, but it's like it's unpacking some really heavy stuff. Um, I want to close out effectively. Can I, can, I sort of, can I sort of trust you to sort of lead us out back into the world as we end this podcast with with what you would want to say to, you know, it's a heavy topic, but instill us with, with hope of, of how we can live in the light of this. Sure. Thank you. So I just want to encourage people, you know, whether this is something that's affected you personally or someone you know, or whether it's it you know, it's not on your radar at all it just, you know it's not something that that you're aware of in your own life or those around you i just want to encourage us to have the the, the confidence in the gospel mm. that we need to have that will give us the the hope to engage you know i think it's very difficult to engage darkness if you don't know the light that's at the end of the tunnel if you don't know that actually god is sovereign um god is going to you know i love in, in the psalms you know it says he he um he you know he shatters the spear he burns the shields with fire he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth you know 
God is going to bring an end to this to this great injustice. That one day there will be no abortion. We know that for sure. Mm. So the outcome is secure. Um, in uh, sort of uh, at the sort of you know the meta narrative scale, but but also in every individual story, the gospel is is enough, and it's so wonderful. Uh, I have the privilege of knowing some some women, for example, who've been through abortion and they've been through healing and they're totally restored and they are full of the joy of the Lord and they help others to find that same healing. So actually just very specifically, I'd love to just uh, point anyone who's had an abortion and needs help. Can I just point out a, a sister ministry of ours called Post-Abortion Support for Everyone? That's P-A-S-E. And you can find them online, um, uh, postabortsupport.com. You can go on Facebook and find the group there and message them there. And uh, in fact, people do get in touch from all around the world. We're based here in the UK, but we have, uh, in fact, we've had a lot of ladies from from Africa get in touch um, mm. through that. And uh, Pauline, who heads that up, just loves to help women to find that same healing and and freedom in Christ that she has found. So. If, if abortion's affected you, please get in touch with Pace. But then for others for whom it's not that sort of, you haven't got that personal backstory, I would just really encourage you to see that this issue does have to do with us all. You know, I think it's very easy to think, well, you know, I'm not a woman or, well, I've not had an abortion or whatever. Or, or even, well, I would never have an abortion. So that that's the end of it. I think scripture compels us to see that actually this is, we, we are our brother's keeper actually mm. yeah. and we are commanded to be a voice for the voiceless yeah. and actually that's a real privilege it's a real privilege to stand with christ sharing his sufferings as we seek to love our neighbor as ourselves so i want to encourage people to see this this is to do with us and again just a specific link for people if you go to cbruk.org slash join so cbruk.org slash join that's j-o-i-n then um, again, wherever you are in the world, particularly here in the UK, you can get connected to other people in your area who've got a heart for this. We'll get you all the training, the resources, everything you need, um, and and we can get you active. You know, be that one hour a month or one day a week. We've got all sorts of activities you can get involved with, where you can meaningfully um, make a difference and be that voice for the voices. And I just encourage people to think, you know when we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we're all going to have to stand there, give an account for how what we did in the body, good or bad. What do you want to be able to say then about what you were doing now uh, for those who, who, who just simply cannot speak for themselves? And it's a grace that the Lord has, is, in a sense, delayed his return long enough for people to hear this message and to count the cost and say, yeah, I want to be not just on the right side of history, but I want to be in the Lord's will. Mm. So that on that day, I can say by his grace, I did what I could for those who couldn't speak for themselves. Mm. Dave, Brennan, um, thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you, Simon, for, for having me on. God bless you. Listen, guys, I, I want to close in prayer. Uh, Father God, it has been very heavy for some of us. We will be weeping even listening to this because it's it's our own lives or it's a loved one very close. And I pray that you'll minister right now to each and every one of us and you'll comfort us so that we can be comforters to others. 
And Lord, will you use this podcast to minister grace and to stir your body for an appropriate response, Lord God, as to what is happening on our watch. We weep with those who weep and, uh, yeah, may your church communicate with the right voice and uh, speaking the truth in love. May we see your kingdom come more and more in this area and bless bless Brefos and the CBR UK guys and everyone working this field. In Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Thanks again, Dave. Listen, folks, uh, this is a very important subject, an important podcast to, to share with, with the right people. So I invite you to pass that on. Uh, love it if you could give us um, a good review on Spotify, iTunes. It just means more people get to come across it. Uh, I will put various websites uh, for you to be in touch with Dave on Refos CBR UK uh, Pace um, and uh, so you can be in touch with him. I'll be back next week with another fantastic guest and I pray that you have a good week and uh, we'll see you next time. All right, toodaloo.